pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and Lord, once again on a beautiful summer Sunday, we assemble in your name to worship you. We thank you for the grand hymns that we can sing and the special music, and yet, Lord, we pray that you would use the preaching of your word to challenge us and to cause us to let the Holy Spirit of God do a work in our hearts that will affect the way we live through this coming week. We ask that our truest worship would be a changed life that the world can see. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This time to the children's and toddlers' churches. The rest of us, let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of James, James chapter 5. And uh, the title of this morning's message is, Be Happy. How many of you remember that silly song, Don't Worry, Be Happy? When the IRS calls, you should worry. Uh, do not be happy. Uh, but uh, the, uh, the world seeks for happiness. Everyone wants to be happy. I wish... Uh, I've often said, I wish I had a dollar for every person that would tell me, all I want is to be happy. Uh, and, and yet, it seems to be the most elusive thing in our society today, doesn't it? Uh, the number one ailment that I believe that is treated, or at least uh, claims to be, is, is depression. Uh, and uh, if you've ever tried to read a clinical uh, definition of depression, uh, all you have to do is be born and not have died yet, and you will qualify under the clinical definition of depression at some time or another in your life. I mean, uh, it, uh, this idea that we can just... Uh, have this wonderful experience every day of our life, and it's just more than we can handle. Uh, that is not an American, the American dream. That is, that is just pure, unadulterated fantasy, my friend. There, there has no one accomplished anything on any field without enduring hardness or difficulty. I remember the story, and, and we won't give the whole story, but a preacher, he was down south many years ago, pastored uh, a very large church, uh, and yet he had crippling uh, arthritis and, and spent the last uh, 30 or 40 years of his life hunched over like this and was in terrible pain every day of his life. And, she, and yet, he still managed to pastor a church of several thousand people and have the joy of the Lord and continue faithful and doing what's right I made an amazing discovery in preparing this sermon. We often try to make a difference in the words happy and blessed. And a lot of times we'll say, well, happy is, 
is the way you feel, and blessing is a state of being, and certainly there is a little bit of difference there, but I made a discovery. It's the same word in our Greek that gives us both words in the English. Uh, There is a connection between being happy and being blessed. Uh, There are times when you can be blessed that you don't feel very good about it. Anybody ever been there? And we'll be talking about that today. That's our, our really our root text is verse 11. Let's just read that before I go any further. Verse 11 of James chapter 5. Behold, we count them happy, which... What's that next word there? Let's try that again. Behold, we count them happy, which endure... Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Now, that, that is our text this morning. That is the, the main verse that we want to examine. We will touch on the rest of the chapter, and so let's read through verse 12 through 20 here. It says, But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, Neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea, and your nay, nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Brethren... If any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Let's go back to verse 11. And put this in the context. James is finishing his book. These are the last uh, salutations, commands, summary, we might say. And boy, there's an awful lot in the book of James. Uh, I, it, would, uh, it would probably be a good practice to preach through the book of James verse by verse and phrase by phrase every year. But the Bible's a big book and we, we, we can't always do that. But we need to understand the theme of the book of James is simply... Real Christian living. How many of us could say, I could use a little more real Christian living? I think all of us would agree with that. Uh, uh, I think that's something that as long as God gives us life, we need improvement on how to live the Christian life. And uh, Brother Andrew, if you'd... uh, Thank you. And so, as we are trying to serve the Lord, we look at this verse, and James says, Behold, 
Now, when you see behold in your Bible, that means, hey, take a moment, look at this, wake up. This is important. This is something that you need to pay attention to. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Can, can I tell you, I, I don't think this will be a, a, an amazing point to anyone or uh, a, a new revelation, but is there anything good about quitting? You know, I, I talk to students at Heartland a lot, and, and, and there's a lot of, uh, there's a fair, fairly high failure rate there. I mean, I think it was Hannah was telling me you had 140 in your freshman class, and about 40 of them graduated. Uh, in my freshman class in 1982, there were 600 students at Baptist Bible College in Springfield, Missouri. On graduation night, four years later, there were 102 of us, and about 25 of those were transfer students and other students. So out of 600, less than 100, probably about 80 students actually of that original 600 finished. That's not a very good success rate now, is it? But I will tell you this, and, and, and uh, we do encourage the professors and the uh, disciplined people at, at Heartland to, because we would much rather have the students flunk out as students than to graduate and go and get into the ministry and then flunk out. Uh, I mean, uh, flunking out is not a good thing. Uh, how many of you heard the incredible tragedy? Our military will never be the same, according to the news reports. The first female uh, to qualify for Navy SEAL training uh, flunked out in, in the pre-training. And uh, I know that will bring grief to a lot of hearts here. You know, the world gets... There has... They're not... Pray for, for our SEAL program. They're not lowering the standards for women to enter into the program. Ladies, no offense. But I don't know about you, but I've met a few women that could uh, actually win a contest of physical strength. Uh, and and uh, I'm not interested in fighting ladies. Amen? And, but I'll tell you this, ladies. There is a biblical principle Men, we have a responsibility to let our ladies be ladies. And that is an accomplishment. Amen? But we're talking about quitting. Now, there's a reason why this woman had to quit. Is because whether you want to admit it or not, there are physical differences between men and women. God built man to endure tests of physical strength and endurance. Yet, if a man had to give birth, it wouldn't happen. It all died before it started. Uh, God has made women incredibly strong and able to do things that men cannot do. 
And you know where, where the world is at its best? Is when men are men and women are women, isn't it? You know why our world is so confused today? Because we have too many men trying to be women and too many women trying to be men. Do you know how many problems that would solve if we could just unwrap that thing? And you see, we live in a confused... Uh, maybe a good word would be psychotropic. Uh, that means that you're all messed up in your brain. And, uh, I mean, we, we just live in a world where reality is up for grabs. All you have to do is get you a little... Uh, little funky cigarette there and all of a sudden reality begins to bend. And if that's not good enough for you, you can get other kinds of illegal drugs and you can make any reality your own. You can just sit there and plug into the computer and it doesn't matter whether you're a shrimpy little wimpy or, or uh, uh, a woman or a man. You can make yourself the most powerful uh, person in the universe, conquering the entire universe in a video game. I, I heard a little blip. I don't even remember the name of the game, but uh, the uh, people gather from all over the world. There were five million viewers of the final rounds of this video game contest, and the winner team was going to take over 10 or 8 million dollars as a prize home to do pretend stuff that never ever could possibly even happen in a pretend world that has never nor will ever exist does that not tell you there's really some bad things going on in the world in which we live and you know what the great temptation is just throw up your hands and say, I'm not going to change anything. Why should I even try? I'm not going to ask you how many of you felt that way, because if you're a human being, you felt that way at times. What does the first phrase here say? Behold, we count them happy, which... Endure. I'll tell you what, there is nobody going to be happier when we finally get that vacate order lifted at Union and get into the building than me. I, I don't think there'll be anyone happier. I know Brother Mike's going to be uh, elated because they'll finally be able to hold services and and, and a great struggle will be done, but... I'll tell you what, these last two years have been very, very difficult. They've been difficult for our church. They've been difficult for family. And uh, uh, I've got two little boys. Daddy, will you play with me today? And it's like, no, son, i got to go over to Union today. And uh, I, I can't wait to finish that job. 
How many of you have finished some huge project or some accomplishment, graduated the course of study, and you're sitting there going, it's done. But you're so exhausted, you're almost sick, and your mind is just scrambled eggs, and your body's all aching and hurting, and you're just sitting there going, if this is success... Maybe I don't want it this bad anymore. Has anybody ever been there? You see, sometimes when you are the most successful in your life, you don't feel very happy. But what does everyone do? Congratulations! When a baby's born. I'll tell you what, everybody's standing in line to congratulate mom. but I don't, And she's happy because she's holding that little baby. But I'll, I'll tell you what, it takes, it takes time to recover from that kind of stuff. And the struggle we are in to serve Christ is defined as warfare. It, it's no less a struggle. You see... We count them happy, which endure. That doesn't mean you're just going to feel so wonderful, but you finished. You have endured. You have come to the end of that race or that portion of it. By the way, most of our military men who receive the Congressional Medal of Honor the highest military award of this nation, have received that honor not because they survived the conflict. Most of them are given posthumously. We might say because they died trying. The conflict wasn't over but because of their willingness to put their life on the line to literally sacrifice their life's blood, the conflict was carried to a victorious end. Lives were saved. People gave themselves. You see, when you endure Read the lives of the prophets. That's what the verse before says. We have the prophets for an example. When they finished their course, they were either completely worn out or dead. One of the two. And that's okay. That's where you want to be. Amen? You want to finish the course. You want to understand that you didn't quit halfway through. You want to be happy? What's this verse say? Don't quit. Years ago, somebody gave me a little cartoon. It was a frog. And the stork had the frog's head 
in its mouth, trying to swallow the frog for lunch. But the frog had reached out both of his little paws, and of course it was a cartoon, it wasn't for real, and it grabbed the hold of the stork's neck and was keeping the stork from swallowing the frog. And underneath it had a little statement there, it says, hang on. And, uh, and I like that. I said, boy, I, 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 I don't know that you could ever really experience that, but uh, 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 it sure feels like it sometimes. Why do most people quit just before they finish the course? Do you know how many public accountants there are that have finished all of their classwork and yet never took the test? See, the only difference between a public accountant and a certified public accountant is taking a test. How many lawyers have gone through law school and never passed the bar exams? Do you know more doctors flunk out of residency than out of medical school? Their school is all done. They have their doctor's degree. But in order to be a functioning doctor or surgeon, you have to go through residency. You have to practice underneath uh, another doctor for several years, usually three, sometimes even four more years, depending on what your area of specialty is before they let you operate by yourself on people. That's a good thing. But most people quit when they're that close to success. And James here, as he's finishing his book, he says, Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job. Now, why did James have to bring Job up? Well, number one, did Job quit? No. Can you think of any other human being in any other period of time, in any circumstance that you know of that endured the same level of testing and trial that Job did? I don't know of any, do you? I, I don't know of any story in fiction that comes close to what Job went through. And so James brings up that example of Job for a reason. He's trying to tell you something. I don't care what you're going through. Job had it worse than you did. Job went through more than you ever will or ever could. Job is an amazing man. 
As the devil planned the loss of everything that Job had, all of his possessions and even the lives of his ten children, read through those that first chapter, second chapter. As those servants came up to him in succession, and before the one had even finished talking, the next one was standing in line. Your cattle, your sheep, your camels, your oxen, your children. And Job said some of the greatest words. He said, blessed be the name of the Lord. You know what? Job never stopped believing that God is. And that God is good. That's faith. Job endured. But even the patience of Job was worn through, thin, not through, but thin for sure, by the blessing of his three friends. And I do use that rather sarcastically there. How many of you are familiar with the story of Job's friends and We get the phrase, with friends like these, who needs enemies? That comes from the book of Job. It comes from that story. And I mean, with friends like Job had, wow! And Job was uh, not above stooping to a little sarcasm himself. He says, miserable comforters are ye all. And... Surely, if you would hold your peace, it would be wisdom. He said, if you would just shut up, it would be the smartest thing you ever said. Uh, if we put it in the modern vernacular. And, and Job did allow his trouble and the wearying, wearing down by his three friends to cloud his vision of God a little bit. But he got it straightened out now, didn't he? You see, you're not going to get through life without failing God. Not going to happen. You're a human being. Why can't I live the way I want to live? Well, welcome to the human race. What did Jesus tell Peter? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Peter slept for three hours instead of praying for three hours. Maybe things would have been different, but we know they wouldn't be different because Jesus had already said the way they were going to turn out. Jesus didn't order Peter to deny him. Jesus wasn't a Calvinist, but Jesus knew Peter would not do what he should, therefore he would fail. Job failed, did not? Did not God show up and and rake Job over the coals there at the end and say, listen, I'm going to demand and you answer me. And finally Job said, I repent in dust and ashes. I spoke of things that were too wonderful for me, that I knew not. I, I allowed myself to lose a vision that God is and that God is good and therefore... I need to get right. What was the next thing Job did? 
He prayed for those three miserable wretches that called themselves his friends. And God healed Job. Amen? Look at the rest of that verse there. It says, Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord. Now, it's interesting the wording that is used there. He said, You've heard of the patience of Job. And we talked about Job. Job endured. And, and don't, don't minimize what went on on the book of Job, saying God sent Job through all this trouble so he could bless him more. No, that's not the purpose of the book of Job. The purpose of the book of Job, right here it tells us, is to show us that God is always God. And you're not going to change that if you will make yourself a part of His program. If you will submit to His direction. If you will, as the writer here, James tells us, endure. What are you going to see? The end of the Lord. You know, that's one of those little phrases that could have a lot of meanings, and we're not going to be able to explore them all this morning, but what was the end of the Lord? Was it Calvary's cross? That wasn't the end of the Lord. Was it the garden tomb that we have depicted behind me here? It is finished, and the stone rolled away. No. What is the end of the Lord? Stephen saw it as he was being stoned to death in Acts chapter 7. How many of you remember the story? God opened his eyes and he saw the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of the Father. And when he told what he saw to the men who were accusing him, it literally drove them mad. Because if what Stephen said was true, then their entire life and their entire relationship with God was a lie. And they tried to drown out the truth that Stephen saw, the end of the Lord, by stoning the poor man to death. Tell you, we live in a world They cannot stand the truth about God. Isn't that true? But you've seen the end of the Lord. I'm sure also he's referring to the death of godly saints. As Stephen died, he said, Lay not this sin to their charge. That sure is different than 
many other deaths. You see, here's what Jesus said in Luke 12:32. He said, "Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom." That's the end of the Lord. Read the book of Revelation. So we'll be spending some time there in the next several weeks, but I just felt like we needed to get this in here. We have a promise of the rapture of the church, do we not? That Jesus is coming back to take His own, to save us from the hour of judgment that will come upon this earth. If you've ever read the last few chapters of the book of Revelation, the pearly gates and the streets of gold and and the Lamb being the light of the city, that's talking about the new Jerusalem, not heaven. I'll tell you what, I can't wait to walk those streets. And though I have not seen those things with my eye, I have seen them through the eye of faith. Amen. Because the Bible tells me about them. We have seen the end of the Lord. And look what it says here. That the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. How many times has that pitiful hand of God, that merciful hand of God reached down and taken from us someone we love? And now we know that they have no more pain. That once they leave this earthly existence, they are more alive than they ever been when they walked with us. And though we miss their company, I'll tell you what, it is the greatest of comfort to know that they're gathered around the throne and adoring the one who saved them. Amen. How many times has God brought our church right to a brink? <laughs> Do you remember when we were $150,000 short in our mortgage payment? Some of you might remember that. I'll never forget it as long as God gives me a memory uh, and allows me to hold uh, possession of my memories. Uh, that feeling was like Nothing I can describe. Because, humanly speaking, we were about to lose everything. Then God sent one check for $150,000 from one person, paid our bill. I can't tell you how happy I was... (laughs) To hold that answer to prayer in my hands. And I often say this a little tongue in cheek, but the lock on the office door works both ways. Uh, Sometimes it keeps you in and keeps you from doing something stupid until God can do what he wanted to do in the first place. Sometimes that is enduring. 
Are we, are we together on that? Do you understand what I mean? Is sometimes it's just holding the course. Sometimes it's just saying no to the flesh. It's not pushing the panic button and running in circles and screaming and shouting. It's not giving up and saying, we're going to sink, we're all going to die. You know what? If that were true that you were all going to die, what good would your shouting about it do? Hello? You see, we count them happy which endure. Amen? You've heard of the patience of Job. And God's not asking you to be Job. Not even close. Not even an honorable mention at the period at the end of the sentence. Not a one of us in this room would ever qualify to be on the same piece of paper as Job. So why do we quit? Why do we give up? You've seen the end of the Lord. Amen? You know the Lord is... I want to read this correctly. Very pitiful and of tender mercy. But then we just need to touch on these last few verses here because it's connected. You know what it says? But above all things. Whoa, wait a minute. Above all things. James saying this is the most important part. If you want to know what it is to endure, read verses 12 through 20. Swear not. Neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay be nay, lest you fall into condemnation. I swear on a stack of Bibles that this little old car here belonged to a little old lady in Pasadena who only drove it to church and back once a month. Oh, man. I remember one time we had uh, some guys trying to sell us something. He says, now listen here, I just want to tell you, I'm a preacher too. I said, I don't want any. He, he said, what? What? I said, listen, if your product isn't good enough to sell on its own without trying to tell me how good a person you are, I said, then there's something wrong with your product. Oh, he got mad at me. But I I base that right here on the Bible. Let your yay be yay and your nay be nay. Don't get into this having to have a contract in order to pay your bills. Pay them. Amen? Don't be, don't allow someone to draw you into proving your word. You should prove your word with your life. Someone says, well, how do I know you're going to, if if I give you my word, I'm going to do it. If it is humanly possible. That's how a Christian ought to live. Your word is your truth. Your word is your character. 
And, and a lot of times I'll go into a hotel and we'll be signing in. They'll say, now, if you smoke in the room, you're going to have to... I said, listen, if I smoke in your room, I'm going to lose a whole lot more than your lousy little fee. I, I have no intention uh, uh, of doing that. And I don't have any pets. I just have kids, all right? And, and they're allowed. And so we, we move. it says, lest ye fall into condemnation. Is any among you afflicted? What does it say? Let him pray. Is any merry? Now, now there's a different word. How many of you have felt so good that you just got to sing a hymn of some kind? Isn't that wonderful when you're there? Well, if you want the right response, sing. Say amen. And if you're merry, give that back to God in praise. If you're sick... Uh, what are we supposed to do? Pray. Someone said, well, what's that anointing with oil thing? Very simple. They did not have a lot of medicines in the chest of pharmacopoeia when James wrote his epistle. But I'll tell you what, no good doctor, no good practitioner of any kind has a chest of medicine that doesn't include olive oil. It's one of the most healing medicines uh, that is available to mankind today. You know what? I, I believe it's just simply talking about, hey, it's okay to take medicine. It's okay to have surgery. It's okay to do things that are going to heal you. But your trust better be in God first. Amen? And the first thing you ought to do is pray, not reach for the medicine pills. Amen? The bottle of pills. We ought to pray about that. But there's nothing wrong with taking some medicine. How many people have lived many years and how many stories are there? Someone goes to one of those fake healers and goes home and throws all their medicine away and dies two weeks later. It's happened more than once, my friend. That's not of God. It's okay to take your medicine. You ought to do something. But your first response ought to be pray. Now look at verse 15. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him out, not Benny Hinn. And if he had committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. God is the only one that can forgive sins. But I'll tell you what, you can be so sick that you can't even pray and ask God to fix what's wrong in your life. How many of you have ever been that sick? That's not a pleasant place to be, let me tell you. But the answer is prayer. So... What have we seen as the responses so far? Pray. Sing. Pray. Pray some more. Pray a lot more. Take some medicine if you need to, but pray. Verse 16, one of the most misunderstood verses in all the Bible. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. I'll tell you, some people want to take that verse and say... Well, listen, it says, confess your faults to one another, so let me tell you everything that's wrong with my life. That is not what that verse is saying. You know what that verse is saying? If I've offended you, 
I confess my faults to you. If you've offended me, you confess your faults to me. I I like the way my father-in-law put it when I was seeking some counsel on our recent problem. He said, don't smear it around. We have some people that just love to smear things around. It's called gossip. It's evil, evil sin. And to use this verse to justify it makes it double evil. Because that's not what it's talking about. By the way, Brett and I are in good shape. I'm just picking on him this morning because he was just right there looking at me. Sorry about that, Brother Brett. But listen. If you got something wrong with someone, you go to them and get it right. By the way, what's the context of that? Well, let's, let's see if we can get this context here. Look in verse 14. Is any sick among you? Let him call for what? The elders of the church. Could that be a context for this passage? Hello? Yeah, that's where it is. It's about the church. And confess your faults to one another. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. If you want to know why I talk about union so much to this church, is because I need people to pray. And you know what? God's answered every prayer so far. It's been a victory in prayer every step of the way. The fact that your pastor has retained at least some sense of sanity is an answer to your prayers. I I will tell you, it has stretched me in ways that I have never desired to be stretched. But I praise God, we're still pressing forward. And we're this close to being done! Which means everything is going to happen crazy now. But you keep praying. If God can answer Elijah's prayer about not reigning for three and a half years, He can answer our prayers about getting into that church building and paying our bills to do it. Amen? He can answer our prayers have healing in our lives and joy and behold, we count them happy which endure. We could all use a little more happy, couldn't we? But sometimes you're so tired and worn out you can't feel it. But you got it because you didn't quit. Do we say amen to that? You see, brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Can I challenge you that as we read these last verses, verses 12 through 20, that they are talking about being active in the fellowship of your local church. And you're supposed to pray. 
and you're supposed to sing, and you're supposed to pray, and you pray some more, and if you get sick, uh, you ask the church to pray for you and take the medicine, uh, but looking to God to solve the problem. And if you get on the outs with somebody, if you've done something to hurt someone else, you make that right between you and that person alone, and you get that problem settled. But if you're going to get it settled, you're going to have to do a lot of praying because I'm the one that needs the changing. You're the one that needs the changing. You say amen to that? And if God answers Elijah's prayers, he says he's going to answer our prayers the same way. Isn't that an amazing truth? And see souls saved. Pray, sing, and win souls. That's what church is about. How many of you want to endure? Well, 25 years from now, you'll be praying, singing, and trying to see God save souls. God's the only one that does the saving. I've gotten a little nervous about that term soul winner because sometimes that's applied to people who bring people to visit church. You know what? That's not soul winning. That's inviting people to church. And that's a good thing. But soul winning is a far different thing. Soul winning is where people get saved. And then they get baptized. And then they start praying and singing and praying some more. In fact, if you study the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6, what is the ultimate goal of the warrior of God? Pray without ceasing. That is the warfare. Learning to pray as God would have you pray so He can answer those prayers. So how many would raise a hand and say, Pastor, I could use a little more happy in my life. Mine's the first one up. Okay, well, number one, you can't quit because if you quit... Never going to get there. Just not going to happen. Job didn't quit, now did he? And God's not asking you to be Job, so don't worry about it. You'll have enough with what God puts on your plate, I promise you. But here's how you handle it. In the context of the fellowship of your local church, you better learn how to pray. When we sing... Tell you what, I love those songs. Every one of those songs this morning. And they're just on my top favorite list, which includes just about everything in the hymn book and then a few others. But uh, songs of praise to God. Amen. When we have struggles, what do we do? We pray. That's why we have prayer meeting on Sunday night, folks. It's because as a church... If we're going to be busy about what God has us to do, we need to pray. We need some answers to prayer. We need some miracles. But you know the greatest miracle we need to pray for? 
We need to see some people get saved. We need to see God do a work in people's hearts that they'll stop messing around, stop playing games, just get saved. Because getting saved is the only thing that makes the difference when it comes to eternity. Can I end it this way? Our anniversary is coming up. If you want to do something for our anniversary, you want you want to see me uh, filled with joy and crying all over the front, bring somebody with you to church between now and then. Could you pray about that? But pray that God will make you a soul winner, not a church inviter. I mean, we need both. Yes, yes, yes. But... We've got to see people get saved. That's not going to happen until God breaks our hearts. Until we start really praying the way we ought to. That we take our eyes off of what we're enduring and start seeing souls on a road to hell that need to be led to Christ. God wants to use you to tell people about Jesus. Every one of us in this room. That's what church is about. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to this time, the time of invitation. And Lord, help us to understand that there is no way that we can build a foundation for happiness out of failure, out of not enduring, out of quitting. But Lord, that endurance does not come from us, it comes from you. That ability not to quit is yours, not ours. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to grab a hold of that endurance that you offer us in praying and singing and telling people about Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would answer that prayer and that you would make each person who is a member of this church about those three things, praying, singing, and telling people about Jesus. Lord, let us engage in that struggle and let us endure. Because, Lord, you know And you want us to have that joy and that happiness and that blessedness that we so desperately need. We ask you to work that you may be glorified in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As Andrew comes to lead the hymn of invitation.